Previously on Mafia. The 1978 House Select Committee on Assassinations was investigating conspiracy theories linked to the killing of President John F. Kennedy. In reality, the way that the CIA were operating at that time, there was, they were dealing with a lot of unsavory characters. So while it, it's certainly surprising, and I think still to this day, people get kind of, kind of shocked by it. If you look at how, what the CIA was doing and some of the people they had to deal with to achieve their objectives, it's, it's not that out of the mainstream of, of their operations at that time. The committee was also looking at Florida mob boss Santo Traficante. He had lost his casino empire in Castro's Cuban Revolution and had allegedly been offered assistance in killing the communist leader, and that the offer had come from none other than the CIA. When the U.S. government was looking for somebody to assassinate Castro, they said, well, who are good assassins? He said, the mafia. Caught in a web of intrigue, Santo Traficante's name kept popping up in the investigation into the world of clandestine dealings between the government and the mob. Uh, if you need the mob, you go to the mob. And that's what the CIA was doing. This is Mafia. In September 1978, Santo Traficante was summoned to appear in front of the House Select Committee on Assassinations to testify. He was assured that he was immunized. Anything he said in this hearing that might incriminate him couldn't later be used against him. The chairman asked Traficante if he had any, quote, foreknowledge of the assassination of President Kennedy, to which Traficante replied, absolutely, absolutely not. not. No, no way. way. I thought that didn't do it. Believed that it was no conspiracy and the mob was not involved. Attorney Robert Blakey was named chief counsel of the Select Committee on Assassinations. When he first heard the rumors that the mob was involved, he was skeptical. The, the killing of Kennedy, of course, was not with a machine gun and guys in, dressed in black and a, a similar mafia car leaving. No, it was not that. It was not a gunning down. Blakey had also been involved in drafting the RICO laws the Racketeer Influenced and Corruption Organizations Act. It was this set of laws that ultimately helped put the heads of New York's five major crime families behind bars. Here's Selwyn Rabb, author of the book, Five Families. Until the RICO law was passed, mob bosses were virtually immune from prosecution. They never pulled the trigger, they never beat anybody up. The RICO law was able to get them because they were now part of an enterprise. And by being not only part of it, but being a boss, they, they faced life in prison. But Blakey now had to cooperate with Traficante, the one-time Cuban casino king. The committee proceeded to review the case at hand. The first suspicion was the death of Lee Harvey Oswald. The killing of Oswald in the, on the way to the jail uh, by someone, that has all the earmarks of, a, of a, an assassination of the assassin. Not only was Oswald's murder typical of a mob hit, the man who killed Oswald, Jack Ruby, had confirmed contacts within the mafia. 
His nightclub was frequented by mobsters who could be linked to a New Orleans mob boss named Carlos Marcelo, and Marcelo was Santo Traficante's closest ally. If you look into Ruby's background, uh, you will find that while he's not a member of the mafia, uh, his name was Jack Rubenstein, and there is a, an admission requirement. You have to be either Sicilian or Italian. But there are rumors of connections. For example, the night before the assassination, he had dinner with a man named uh, Joseph Campisi. And Campisi is the second-ranking member of the, the Dallas um, Mafia family. Uh, he was known to uh, the people in Dallas who were, were connected uh, to widely to organized crime uh, and to uh, the Mafia in, in particular. The original 1963 Warren report had glossed over connections between Lee Harvey Oswald and that same Carlos Marcello. Even though it was known that Oswald's uncle and surrogate father, Charles Murray, was Marcello's bookmaker. But Oswald's death wasn't the only one the committee was interested in. We never asked Traficandi who he was in the mob. Because if we had asked him that, uh, that then would have been immunized and would possibly interfere with a subsequent prosecution of him. So we only asked him things about the assassination. And we started with who is he, what does he do, but then we got into his participation in the CIA mafia plots to kill Castro. And those he acknowledged that he was involved in. Safe from prosecution, Traficante went ahead and made explosive claims about the CIA's involvement in an attempted assassination of Cuban leader Fidel Castro in 1960. According to Traficante, Chicago mobsters had approached him and told him that the CIA planned to assassinate Castro. He said, quote, The CIA, the CIA and, the and the United States, States government, government wanted, wanted this thing done. done. Castro was turning Cuba into a communist country very close to U.S. soil, and the CIA wanted him gone. Selwyn Rabb. In the late 50s and early 60s, the uh, CIA or the American spy institutes were desperate to get rid of Castro. He was a persona non grata. The government wanted to get rid of him. In the history of organized crime, the lines between the mob and law enforcement have often been blurred. But Traficante's revelation broke new ground. The American government had directly asked for the help of notorious Chicago mob boss Sam Giancana. When the CIA decided to take out Castro and decided to use the mob, uh, they made the initial contact between a former agent of the CIA in Las Vegas with Johnny Rosselli, who was the Chicago mob's delegate. And if you wanted to contact Santos Traficante, you had to go from Johnny Rosselli to Giancana, who was the head of the mob 
and the head of the mob in Chicago had to approve any effort to talk to Santo Traficante. So apparently it, it did happen, uh, and there were meetings between Santo Traficante and uh, Giancana in which a plot with the CIA uh, was hatched to kill Castro. And so an unlikely alliance between the law enforcement and the mafia emerged. Crime authors Thomas Rapetto and Selwyn Rabb. They thought you could just go in and put in an order for an assassination and, and Castro would be killed, but it would turn out to be a lot harder than, uh, than it was thought to be going to happen. It had many plots, but none of them were succeeding. And to show you how desperate, but at the same time, how the CIA might count on the mafia, they thought the mafia could help because the mafia, and especially Santo Traficante, was close to the Cuban exiles who were damned uh, greedy to get back also. Attorney Robert Blakey. But the real scandal involved is the assumption on the part of the CIA that the mafia was a group of hired killers. Typically, a, a, a a killing by the mafia uh, or mafia member is a matter of uh, accommodation to an, another family. Or if it's a killing in, in that family, it's done to protect the family. There's no transfer of money. The mob is not an organization of hired killers that you could go to and contract a killing. With the CIA's permission, the Mafia went out to hire a hitman. Sam Giancana knew that when it came to Cuba, there was only one man with the right connections, Santo Traficante himself. That was just the kind of man the CIA was looking for, a man that belonged to an organization that was skilled in murder and plots and was very unhappy, had lost a lot of money about what happened in Cuba and would do anything to get back there. And so, in September 1960, a meeting was arranged at the Fontainebleau Hotel in Miami between the CIA, Chicago mob boss Sam Giancana, and his chosen hitman, Traficante. The CIA and the mob were now at the same table with a single sinister aim, an attempt on a world leader's life. Traficante was willing to go along with it, this was his chance to get rid of the man who he believed had betrayed him and was responsible for the fall of his casino empire. In his committee testimony, Traficante said it felt like going to war and that it felt patriotic because, quote, the government of the United States wanted it done. But his real motivations were personal. Here's Selwyn Rabb again. Well, Traficante was helping out the CIA, at least giving them the illusion that he was helping them out, because anything that worked to get rid of Castro would be a benefit to him. He didn't care who got rid of uh, Castro, as long as he was out, and Traficante could go back and reclaim his five casinos and everything else he had going for him in Cuba. Uh, so the point, very simply, the mob it always can see a favor, that if they do a favor for the, uh, the law enforcement or a government agency, then the government agency is in debt to them, an obligation. So uh, it's an easy way of uh, winning the game by playing your own card. And now to plan the job. 
The agency first decided on a classic mobster hit. Castro would die in a hail of bullets. Crime authors Thomas Rapetto and Scott Dietschy. Yeah, the, the government idea was, like World War II, you just send your, your assassins in and they shoot the fellow down. But Giancana and Traficanti and those people had a little bit of understanding. They said, if you shoot Castro, you won't get rid of him. You'll get somebody just as bad. And that you've got to do this in a clever way. That's when all these poisoning plots were considered. Yeah, there, there is something funny about the CIA trying to tell the mob how to kill someone. Uh, and certainly when you look at the different methodologies that they wanted to use, uh, I think the mob felt that getting someone in close to Castro doing the poison probably would have been a, a more pragmatic way of, of killing him. This is where they would take advantage of Traficante's connections in Cuba. He knew an official who could get close to Castro. So the point was they had this bizarre plot where they offered uh, poison pills to Traficante and a, uh, a sack full of money, about $150,000, and they thought they believed this uh, po possibility that Traficante, through his sources, could get Castro to some restaurant where they would slip poison pills into his food. A plan was agreed on, and the CIA officers handed over a suitcase with the cash. Now there was no turning back. The CIA had just paid the mob to kill a world leader. Traficante left the hotel with the suitcase full of cash, but the money and revenge on Castro were only part of the deal. More importantly, law enforcement agencies would now turn a blind eye to mafia operations, this was how the mafia operated. There had to be a quid pro quo. He was told, at least he claimed he was told, that if he did this little job for the government, he was home free. Nobody would bother him anymore. Now, Traficante knew it was crazy, and he later boasted to uh, Frank Regano, his lawyer, that he just took the money and took care of the money, the 150000 and he flushed the poison pills down the toilet that he thought it was a crazy idea and there was no way it could work. But he, um, he wasn't stupid enough to pass up $150,000. Uh, that was tax-free. The failed poison plot was soon forgotten, as aggression against Castro moved to a new level. Around that same time, Giancana had been involved in another high-profile scheme. He had been helping a charismatic young senator named John Fitzgerald Kennedy become president of the United States. Kennedy's father, Joseph, had contacted the mob to help his son win Illinois, an important swing state. Old man Kennedy, Joe, sent Sinatra, Frank Sinatra, to talk to Giancana. Giancana thought he heard Sinatra say, if you do, if you carry Illinois for us, There'll be no bothering you. The Kennedys won't go after you. The mob held up their part of the deal. They helped Kennedy get into the White House. And in November of 1960, he was elected president. Robert Blakey corroborates. Was there mob money in the election in Chicago? Uh, yes. Uh, period, end of story. To Traficante's delight, the new administration was making Cuba a priority. The CIA were asked to present the new president with a wide range of plans, from assassination to a full-scale invasion. And in April 1961, 
Traficante watched as the CIA sent 1,500 mercenaries to invade Cuba's Bay of Pigs and overthrow Castro. But they were outnumbered and easily crushed. Thomas Repetto. Well, the CIA plan for the invasion didn't work very well. It was a terrible disaster that no one wanted anything to do with. It was an amateurish campaign that 1,500 or so men could overthrow all of Castro's troops. Castro was a national hero celebrated by the Cuban people. And Traficante was fuming. He had been double-crossed. First by Castro in Cuba, and now by Kennedy's half-hearted efforts. But things were about to get a lot worse for the American mafia. When Sam Giancana had helped Kennedy get elected, he expected loyalty in return. But the new president went ahead and made his brother attorney general, and Robert Kennedy had a long history of going after organized crime. With his new position, Bobby was determined to crank up the pressure and come down hard on the mob. Gene kind of felt more betrayed by the fact that Bobby Kennedy went after him after being promised that if Kennedy were elected, Jack Kennedy were elected president, that they would not, there would be no federal pressure against the mob. That's what really made Gene kind of upset. Bobby Kennedy, by going after the mafia and going after Hoffa, incited Traficante into more hatred. So because of Robert Kennedy's war on organized crime, a lot of mobsters start having some pretty bad feelings towards John F. Kennedy. And this goes across the country, from Carlos Marcello in New Orleans to Sam Giancana to the bosses in New York. The entire mafia felt betrayed by the government. And no one crosses the mob. Not even the president. Bobby Kennedy's Department of Justice now started to target key figures of organized crime. The mob in the North was under heavy surveillance, and Sam Giancana was effectively under lockdown. Giancana was under such intense surveillance that carloads of FBI agents would follow right on his back bumper. They, everywhere he went, they went. There was an all-out campaign against Giancana, which made him very angry. The FBI were listening in on the mob's phone conversations. They were monitoring every move. There were numerous bugs picked up by the FBI uh, about the mob's hatred of Kennedy. One of them particularly was from Sam Giancana, who said, we broke our balls trying to get him elected, and look what he does against us, that son of a bitch. So there was no question about the animosity that mob dons had for John F. Kennedy and for Bobby Kennedy. Uh, the, the conversations about uh, Kennedy were really very vicious. But Santo Traficante was shrewd. He carefully avoided talking on the phone, not allowing himself to be taped. He was a mafia don who was smart enough to avoid the limelight. He was never caught on a bug or on a wire, never implicated himself in any crime. While Giancana was under 24-hour scrutiny in Chicago, down south, Traficante and Carlos Marcello used their freedom to plan out revenge on the Kennedys. So Kennedy uh, was, in his uh, uh, presidency, not immune from organized crime retaliation because he had taken votes uh, and, and taken money uh, from the mob. Uh, 
Giancana and the other members uh, uh, could well have plotted and, and killed him. The real question is not whether they had the motive, opportunity, and means, is whether they actually did it. Over a decade later, in January 1975, another Senate Select Committee was investigating illegal CIA operations, specifically its involvement in trying to assassinate Castro. An aging Sam Giancana was ordered to appear before the committee. But Giancana never made it to the stand. The night before he was set to testify, he was shot dead at home. The following year, that same committee called in Giancana's right-hand man, John Rosselli. His first testimony was explosive, and the committee asked him back for further questioning. But Rosselli mysteriously disappeared. His dismembered body was later found inside an oil drum floating in Dumbfounding Bay, Miami. The three major uh, mafia players uh, in the CIA attempt to kill Castro with Johnny Rosselli, Sam Giancana, and Santo Traficante Jr. And the only one who survived was Santo. The way they were cut up and the way they were shot in their mouths. They were killed in a way that indicated they had been squealers. And when it comes time for the House Select Committee on Assassinations, Traficante is the only one left to, uh, to discuss some of these CIA mafia plots. And really got a lot of people thinking and wondering if Rosselli and Gene Connor were killed to be silenced. And so in September 1978, Robert Blakey summoned Florida mob boss Santo Traficante to testify. Blakey recognized that there was no direct evidence connecting Traficante and the assassination of JFK. Traficante was nowhere near Dallas in November 1963. He was with his lawyer in his hometown of Tampa, Florida. But Chief Counsel Blakey now believed that there were too many coincidences to be dismissed. And incredibly, I believe that it was no conspiracy and the mob was not involved. Uh, I organized our investigations around the proposition that the mob didn't kill Kennedy. And I was wrong about that in terms of suspicion. They had the motive, opportunity, and means, and disgust. Not the specific killing Kennedy in Dallas, but killing him. They discussed that. Traficante fit right into the center of all these apparent coincidences. He was put under intense pressure during the committee hearing. The chairman reminded him that John Rosselli had, before he died, hinted to associates that he knew who had arranged President Kennedy's murder. But Traficante denied having any knowledge whatsoever. When asked if he knew Jack Ruby, Traficante's stoic answer was, quote, No, sir, I never remember meeting Jack Ruby. The committee was desperately trying to find a link between Traficante and Ruby, who had made several trips to Cuba when Traficante was jailed by Castro. Selwyn Rabb. He always took the same stance. He never knew anything. He didn't remember anybody. But there's no clear link between uh, Traficante and Ruby. Uh, none in the world. Nobody's been able to establish it. Traficante got out of Cuba because his own people, his own aides, were able to bribe the government at that time. 
Traficante's answers remained consistent to the very end. He never knew anything, never knew anyone, and had no knowledge whatsoever. It was a masterful performance. After thirty months of investigation and twelve volumes of hearings and appendixes, the House Select Committee on Assassinations drew to a close. The final report was published in 1979. It concluded that while the Mafia was not involved, it did not preclude the involvement of certain individuals. Carlos Marcello of New Orleans and Santo Traficante of Florida. Chief Counsel Robert Blakey. We decided that there were shots from both directions and therefore there was a likely conspiracy. Uh, and we pointed to the most likely suspects as Carlos Marcello and uh, Santo Traficante. But we said we could not indicate with confidence uh, that they did it. And that was our conclusion. The only irrefutable conclusion was that Lee Harvey Oswald killed the president and Jack Ruby killed Oswald. And despite the committee's best efforts, in the end, Traficante walked free. Even Robert Blakey's RICO law, which had dismantled the five crime families of New York, failed to nail Traficante. Selwyn Rapp. There's no question about how crafty and how successful Santo Traficante was. Now, Santo Traficante was the only mob boss to escape a big RICO indictment. Twice he was indicted under RICO, and twice the charges against him were dismissed. Just showed you his ability to survive and how clever and smart he was. In fact, he was the only mob boss that Joe Pistone, the famous FBI investigator who infiltrated the Bonanno family, couldn't get. In 1983, mob boss Carlos Marcello was in prison on racketeering and bribery charges. The FBI placed an informant in his cell to see what Marcello knew about the Kennedy assassination. Marcello all but admitted to being involved. But before the courts were able to question Traficante about his friend's deathbed confession, his own health deteriorated. And in 1987, Traficante died at the age of 72. In the years after Traficante's death, more evidence came to light. His lawyer, Frank Regano, claimed that just four days before he died, Traficante had opened up to him. When speaking about President Kennedy, mobsters called him by his nickname, Giovanni. The two men were driving together when Traficante turned and said, quote, We shouldn't have, we killed, shouldn't have killed Giovanni. Giovanni. We should have, we killed, should have killed Bobby. Bobby. Here's Frank Regano's son, Chris Regano. He was confessing to the assassination of the President of the United States. And my, my father was just in shock. He is in awe. He couldn't believe that they actually had done this. He had thought they discussed it. If I had all that evidence in November of 63, uh, I'd have a grand jury and I'd have an indictment. Whether I'd have a conviction or not, it's a different story. It is unlikely that we will ever know for certain whether Santo Traficante and Carlos Marcello hired Oswald and Ruby. But Santo Traficante was certainly unique in one aspect. Throughout his life, 
the quiet Don kept out of the limelight and never spent a single night in an American jail. It's um, not an understatement or an overstatement to say Santo Traficante was the big mafia fish that got away. In the next episode, even with the mafia's long history of violence, one killer stood out, Albert Anastasia. He is one of the, the craziest and most violent uh, mob bosses in history, yes. He was the head of Murder Incorporated and handpicked some of the worst killers imaginable. But Anastasia himself took violence to another level. I mean, his brutality knew no bounds. He killed more people than some serial killers. Nothing makes you more nervous than to be around a psychopath. Even other mafia bosses feared him. And in the end, they had to get rid of him to save themselves. Thanks to the Black Tux for sponsoring this episode. This has been an Audio Boom and World Media Rights co-production, hosted by me, Fleet Cooper. It is produced by Audio Boom's Ben Hosley and Rachel Jacobs and Bettina Vasquez for World Media Rights. We had editing help from David Markowitz with additional production from World Media Rights by Gerald Zabengua. Special thanks in this episode to Rob Peterson. David McNabb is the series' creative director, and the executive producers for Audio Boom are Brendan Reagan and Stuart Last. Follow Mafia on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.